What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bug Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to a Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into some Ravens, some not a blog updates, and uh, much else. So this is exciting. This is the first time we're actually sitting down to record in the new year, which is really cool. And uh, how are you doing, Sir Matt? Man, you know, the holidays were good. You and I actually recorded ahead, so we got we were able to take a little bit of a break, you know, and I was able to dial in some editing get some more stuff going our iceberg video is doing very well until youtube decided to tank it apparently for (laughs) some reason don't know apparently 18 plus yeah it's 18 plus you know i guess don't know i guess we can't talk about you know i'm gonna have to beep this out but laris is foot fetish anymore yeah, we uh we are officially being censored as the foot fetish podcast, I guess. So um, I know not a good look o- on YouTube, but it's okay for Google to show the entire first episode of House of the Dragon, where Damon's just well, I guess limply railing Masaria, and uh, you know, I guess I guess that's okay. But uh, hey, everybody loves an underdog. It, everybody loves an underdog, and that's what we are now. That's true. So. <laughs> We're just hedge knights. Just hedge knights. trying to make so, our way Jimmy, through this crazy world. Jimmy, did you have a good holiday, man? How was your holiday? Not really. Not really. Well, that sucks. <laughs> the holiday itself is okay, and everything afterwards was not. Um, so it is nice to focus in on a imaginary world where Westeros feels a little more cozy than my real life right now. <laughs> so. Okay, yeah, I know you went and visited some family, you lost power for a little bit, you're out there in the cold, man, that was cold on the East Coast. Yeah, it was terrible. It was awful. I uh, was waiting for, you know, the White Walkers to come back and claim the land. Yeah, well, so man, out here, it was, my holidays were pretty, pretty chill. I worked on New Year's, I didn't really, didn't really do anything, just kind of took it in as, you know, but hey. I did get, uh, did you get any, you, you got something pretty cool though for, for Christmas, right? Yeah. Uh, I got a skull Knight statue from berserk and it's like, yeah, you got this like, like sweet new little thing. I don't know if yeah, you it's like it. two and a half feet tall and 50 pounds and only 150 of them were ever made. But if anyone listening, uh, likes berserk, I, I did receive one of those really cool, like collector statues from a friend of mine who is far too kind. So, uh, I was pretty excited about that. I got some good gifts. I also got some like collector's editions of some Cormac McCarthy books that I really like and and whatnot. So th- there was some silver lining to an overall pretty depressing holiday time. Well, that's unfortunate. Hey, I got a uh, what did I get? Oh, yeah. Right here. Where's it at? Oh, yeah. I can add to my uh, Funko. My I have, I have a growing Funko Pop collection for those. I see this. So I now have uh, Rhaenyra. Young Rhaenyra, and I now have the Sarah. He's got Blackfire. It's so cool. Yeah, those are two solid Funko Pops. Like sometimes Funko's hit or miss with me, but those two are really cool. Yeah, I like him just because you can buy any fandom, 
mm-hmm. and they all sort of look the same. So Very I now have, yeah, I now have four from Song of Ice and Fire. I need to need to up up that star. I have mostly Star Wars, so I need to acquire some more. I have a Jon Snow, like a later season seven, and then I have Theon from season eight, like the White Walker episode. So, but uh, yeah, so hopefully you guys out there had a good. Had a good holiday season, holiday break. But you know what? Now we're back to business because it's a new year, okay? And uh, we're going to be diving in first here to some news. We have, we've been doing these sort of polls on YouTube we got to get into. So there was a uh, a little bit, right? Uh, a few, uh, two sort of updates from George Martin over on his Not A Blog. And I guess we'll go backwards because the most recent one is the one that's a little more sort of important, I'd say. So this is from December 28th. He's he writes stuff and nonsense. I'm just going to kind of skip through it here. So he says, you know, I took a few days off for the holidays. Shame on me. But now I'm back in the salt mine working, working on so many bloody things. My head is about to explode. Yes. Winds of winter. Yes. Yes. And house of the dragon season two and several of the other successor shows that we're developing with HBO. Some of those are moving faster than others, as is always the case. None have been greenlit yet, though we are hoping, you know, maybe soon. A couple have been shelved. I wouldn't say they're dead. You can always take something off the shelf as easily as you can put it on it. But, you know, the changes at HBO Max have impacted us, certainly. So, you know, then he goes on to talk about um, just some sort of other things. So kind of takeaways from that jimmy he's still working on wins is a positive <laughs> that's a positive yes but i guess more so the the successor shows yeah i think everything's in trouble right now at hbo a little bit um it it, it did not appear that it was a very positive <laughs> change of, of the schedule some some have been shelved uh as he says and uh you know the one thing he did say is if it can be put on the shelf, it can also be taken off the shelf. But it certainly seems as if the direction at Warner Brothers Discovery HBO is changing a bit and they're cutting costs. And one of the articles that I saw that responded to this was talking about the cost of shows and the ratings they bring in, the revenue they they bring. And yes, House of the Dragon is you know one of the most successful shows on television right now, but it costs a lot of money to, to make that. And we're not sure what that return on investment really looks like as far as new subs, merchandise, and all this stuff goes. So I think, unfortunately, with the cost cutting with this new CEO, is is he's looking and saying, well, we need less of that and a lot more of the low-budget reality stuff right. that like Discovery is known for. Uh, not that I think those things are going to be on HBO, the channel. So, you know, that that's at least good. At least we'll keep HBO kind of siloed off and still doing high quality things. But even even things like White Lotus, which has been very popular for HBO recently, nowhere near the budget of House of the Dragon. I'm oh, assuming yeah. I'm assuming that uh, they do have a little bit more notable actors. So maybe they spend a little bit more money there. But uh, yeah, you know, in, in a way, it's very discouraging because I'm not just a House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire fan. I'm also an HBO fan. And when I see things like this and kind of changing directions, um, you know, with new people at the helm, it, it is scary because HBO to me is like the last bastion of like really true prime TV. Uh, I do know that well, speaking of prime TV, I know Amazon is doing a lot of things and Netflix has stuff and everyone has their favorite services. But for me, for the last three decades, HBO has been, you know, 
the one place I can count on 99% of the time to do something at least compelling um, or different. And uh, I don't like it. I don't like this news, not just because of the future of like Westeros TV, but also just HBO uh, in general as a fan. Yeah. So I think I think some of the the key takeaways from this. Well, for starters, just a little backstory, right? So the for maybe people who are just listening to us, because we always get a lot of new listeners at the beginning of the year. So sort of, you know, if you're unfamiliar as to kind of what's going on and how this sort of impacts Game of Thrones is Warner Brothers, who owns HBO, right, who owns the TV rights to Game of Thrones and all of the Westeros content was owned by AT&T, who acquired a lot of debt in order to buy them. They had to sort of, after a couple of years, shelve that debt. So they discovery sort of stepped in, merged slash bought them. But now they've taken on a lot of debt mm-hmm. in order to acquire this. I think in the long run, I do still kind of think it will be better that a content company is in control of all this stuff as opposed to a phone company. Right. Yeah. Um. So I think that that's still probably for the best now the interesting thing he says here well first if you we go through it so he says we're still working on a lot of the successor shows which again remember the first time we heard successor shows we were all thinking what he means is prequels then we got the news about Jon snow as a i was like okay well that is i truly a successor show right as in it would take place after he doesn't comment on to any of the titles, even though they have some of them been leaked. Certainly the Jon Snow show he's mentioned before. He says some are moving faster than others. Now, for that case, I would assume that some of these obviously are still going to be happening. And by saying some of those, that to me comes across as plural. So at least two, right, uh, of these of these shows. So I would say Snow and possibly something else. Uh, you know, none has been greenlit yet that we're hoping maybe soon. A couple have been shelved. You know, some of the other ones they had potentially talked about was like the 10,000 ships and about Nymeria. And there was talks of like a Corliss Valerian, right? Like prequel, um, which honestly, both of those I'm like, I mean, I'm interested. But if you're saying it's going to be that or Duncan Egg and the Jon Snow show, well, it's like, OK, I'm, we can definitely shelve those at least for my personal interest but then he says that all of the changes at hbo max have impacted us he didn't say hbo he said all the all the things at hbo max which is sort of which is just the streaming service because we know that hbo max is going to be getting merged with discovery plus and make some sort of new thing and it sounds like some of that original hbo max discovery plus whatever it's going to be content is going to be sort of different than what we're getting now, which is like basically just HBO shows on a streaming service like you find with Disney and stuff like that. So that's kind of interesting. My guess is that what might be happening, because I would still imagine that if you're Warner Brothers and you're looking at the success of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, just like they want to build up DC and revitalize Harry Potter, these other wells they can tap into... You obviously want to keep the Westeros well running since that's the big pillar of HBO. But if some of these things aren't going to be developed specifically for streaming, then you're sort of working with TV schedules and HBO. And that could throw some things off or cause you to need to push some things back because you still have other big shows that appear on HBO 
you know, then ultimately find their way to HBO Max. And that's like a scheduling thing. So maybe that's the silver lining. Yeah, I'm hoping so. And and to be honest, and we've kind of talked about this before here on the podcast, like I'm not opposed to slowing down. Um, this is something that we could have Westerosi type of TV for decades if we just space out these shows. You know, maybe the last season of House of the Dragon is maybe when I'm just throwing stuff out, but like snow begins. Like I don't necessarily want all these shows running in line. One, I think it's too expensive. And whenever you go down that path, that path, you know, if you have something that fails, it gets axed because it's like, this is so much money. Like it has to perform. Right. So I do feel like that could be a good thing. If they're saying, Hey, Hey, let's steady this drip out and not turn on the faucet. I'm actually cool with that. Um, I'm going to remain optimistic for once in my life. And I'm going to say that that is what they're, what they're going to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that, and I'm sort of with you. I, I don't know that honestly I would want more than house of the dragon and snow potentially running like every other year. Yes. Right. So it's like, you get snow this year and you get this, this year, you know, I think one of the things you look over at Disney and they're sort of in the opposite where they're like crank out as absolute much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, you, I think I think the easiest things to look at are Marvel and Star Wars because that's sort of the easiest I think comparison. With Marvel, it's almost like fatigue. I mean, it's like it's hard to keep up, and then you sort of have to have watched like so many. I mean, where I don't even you know whatever the next Marvel show is. I don't even you know I don't, I know like Loki season two is coming, all these things, but you have to have watched like thirty movies and like ten Disney Plus shows, and it's a lot. So it can become quite a bit. And that's a story that's really mostly goes in like a pretty much straight timeline. Yeah, there's a couple prequels and things that happen here and there. The other thing that could get, I think, kind of confusing is with Star Wars. That's sort of their other big pillar over there is you're constantly jumping back and forth in the in their timeline. Right. So you have big shows like The Mandalorian, which take place after Return of the Jedi, but before Force Awakens. And then you have shows like Andor, which take place before Rogue One, which takes place before Episode Four, but after Kenobi. And it's a lot. And it's like it's hard to keep track of. And with Westeros, you know, right now it's like I think it's just kind of easier to sort of just go look at House of the Dragon and they start the show and they're like, hey, 150 years before Daenerys Targaryen. Okay, easy. Now we know where we're at. But then you don't have to jump to John, which is after. And then you have a Corliss Valerian show. Well, that's a prequel to him in House of the Dragon. So I think it's just easier. I'm with you. Like, maybe just two is fine. Yeah, I I, I think so. And another thing is, like, I hope that that whenever they start to expand into these other shows, you know, there's obviously going to be tie-ins because, like, Westeros is very interconnected. And, like, that's why this is so much fun for us to do a podcast about and talk about it for years. But at the same time, I hope that they don't feel the need to always feel like there has to be a super strong connection between the shows. Like, obviously, we got we have um, the prophecy being passed down, and that kind of connects everything back to the main show in House of the Dragon. And, and to be honest, it, it's a huge factor, but it also is kind of still separate a little bit. To, to the main family drama that's going on, which is great. It's just kind of added drama and it works. But I, I hope, you know, if they did a Nymeria show, like it should just stand on its own. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it really doesn't need to connect to anything else. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Um, we'll dive into his other one here, which is just sort of like a little fun thing about um, Casterly Rock. So this was just a couple of days before that, uh, the last post. So it's, he says a couple of rocks. So about Casterly Rock, 
The Seed of House Lannister has been mentioned hundreds of times in the five published novels of A Song of Ice and Fire, but the story has never actually gone there yet. From time to time, Tyrion or Jaime or Cersei have brought up, have thought back to something or other that happened in The Rock in the years past, but aside from those memories and quasi-flashbacks, we have never actually seen The Rock or Lannisport, the city you know, uh, that has grown up near its feet. This uh, this seems to have led to a certain amount of confusion as to what Casterly Rock actually looks like. And then he shows a picture here, which is in like the world of ice and fire and, um, you know, some other things. He just sort of goes on to detail it. But, um, you know, one of the things that's just kind of interesting is it's just talking about the idea of like, you know, we're going to be going to Casterly Rock in Winds of Winter. Right. We don't know how in what capacity that's going to be right really in the show the only time we ever go there is when Tyrion says hey we're gonna go take it and they've actually fled Casterly Rock thinking about where we're at in Winds of Winter right now you know there's we think potentially hey if young Griff is coming over does Cersei end up having to flee to Casterly Rock I know that's one of the things you've brought up Jimmy mm -hmm. so just sort of uh thought about you know it'd be kind of interesting to think about um maybe winds of winter and casually rock. And oh yeah. If, since we're going there, what is that potentially going to look like? Yeah, I think it's actually going to be a lot of fun. I was talking to someone uh, close to me today. Uh, her name's Joanna. She runs a YouTube channel where she's uh, starting a reread uh, one book a month for a song of ice and fire. And she was talking about how George just does the best descriptions of like scale. And she was talking about the eerie and an eerie in a game of Thrones in that book is, is still to this day, one of my favorite descriptions of an area in any piece of fiction that I've ever read. And uh, seeing George post about Casterly rock and talking about the scale of it and then talking about the wall and turning it up to 11,000 and all this stuff uh, really, it, it kind of takes me back to like when I was first discovering the series. And like when you read about these places and you start to imagine what they look like. And one thing that, that I have been able to do since the show has ended and I went back into the book so heavy is yeah, the show does give me some context for what stuff looks like, but some of it is even way more grandioso in the actual books. And if you can actually envision what George was describing him describing Castle Rock in this blog post has got me so excited for the fact that I do believe we will see Casterly Rock proper in winds of winter, uh, whether it's Cersei going back there or whether it's Tyrion coming over, on a dragon maybe who knows uh i am very excited to uh to visit the rock and to see what it's all about but i do think the geographical like layout of castle the rock is really interesting and i think it could play definitely a role whenever he decides to write a battle scene there yeah so he just he just goes on here and he says you know what does all this mean after he describes it you know he uses talks about his inspiration like the rock of gibraltar mm -hmm. um you know and some of the things that he'd use as use as inspiration Maybe nothing. I just wanted to set set the record straight, right? Or maybe put an end. You know, it was just kind of just kind of interesting. But you know, it's just sort of when we think about where he is in his writing process, saying, "Hey, I'm seventy five percent done." He said he before he'd finish a big block of Cersei chapters. Leads me to kind of think, "Hey, maybe right now he's been thinking an awful lot, whether he's writing it currently or just finished some, or he's about to." Cast, I mean, Casterly Rock. That last line, meanwhile, uh, he wants us to ponder, could Cassie Rock stand against dragons? Mm -hmm. 
And you know me, I we've we've talked about this in depth before. I don't know if I've ever said on the podcast, but one of like my big theories is that I feel as if Tyrion will burn Casterly Rock, whether secondhand by commanding it to be done or him riding a dragon doing so, because he had dragon dreams. Talks about wanting to burn his family, the dragon fire, and burn the rock and all these things. And it just feels like it would be all for naught um, if something didn't come of it. So this this is making me feel uh, confirmation bias, which is always fun. <laughs> let's go yeah it's fun it's fun so yeah just there's so, nothing like no big sort of takeaway um from this i think i'm ultimately with you i do think we will probably go to casually rock probably towards the end i don't know if it's going to be the same way that it happens in the show in which like Tyrion is with daenerys's army and hey we're gonna go take it mm -hmm. kind of interesting to think about maybe some of the events we see in Game of Thrones that are likely to happen. I mean, Daenerys coming over at some point and beginning to wage some kind of a war probably going to happen. Yeah. And uh, does that happen? You know, does Cersei become the Mad Queen? Does Cersei or, you know, and J what's going on with Jamie? Is he leading this force? Is he going to almost kill Daenerys and then Bronn saves him? Like that was kind of a cool shot in the show, whether it happens in the books or not so uh yeah i think the bronze stuff is i think the bronze stuff's a lot less likely to happen just because of how big of a spot they gave Braun because he was doing well in the ratings um mm -hmm. i and us and Braun is very much not that in at least from what i've gathered in the books so you're right though i mean daenerys is going to come over and what's it going to look like when my personal belief is that cersei will most likely be a casterly rock when daenerys lands that's my guess yeah. okay yeah, but the faith still has huge role to play. Massive. It might go, might go totally different. But hey, uh, speaking of Ron, Bron, excuse me, we're gonna dive into our Ravens here. You guys have sent us a bunch. We've had a, a little bit of a backlog from the holidays and stuff like this. I think we got about four here, and it's always fun to dive into these. So this comes to us from Lord Robert of House Blackbird. He says, "Dear sirs, I really miss videos on Braun, and I don't understand." why no one is making any videos on him. I remember your good old years videos on minor characters in the books, and it could be a cool topic. We've got three characters in the main story that ascended from small folk into nobility. And I would like you to tell me your opinion. There's the beloved Dav Davo Seaworth smuggler from flea bottom who got prompted for his good. He got promoted from for his good deeds. He got a small island in the Stormlands. We know about this character the most, and I'm definitely not the only one who really loves him. And I think you can tell us about his history more than I can. Then there's the opposite type of man. Jano Slint was a commander of the Gold Cloaks. There was a lot of bribery around him, and by sheer luck and Cersei's incompetence, he gets the title of a lord for a small amount of time, even though he got sent to the wall and died. He... Um, he provided to his family a whole better future. And technically, he also created the House of Slint. Do you have an idea whose squire is his older son, Moros? Last time we've seen him is in Tyrion's trial, I think. Last character we've got is Bronn, Selsor, uh, you know, who, who knew for who he should work. After the Battle of the Blackwater, he got his knighthood, and we get to see Sir Bronn of Blackwater. That was just a beginning for him. During Tyrion's trial, he got bribed by Cersei with a hand of Lala Stokeworth. 
Again, we've got Cersei being incompetent, not calculating what Bronn can do. And if he's for crows, we know that he got rid of the mother first and afterwards, even Lawless older Lolly's older sister. Last time, uh, last time we know anything about him, he is Lord Bronn of the Blackwater, Lord Stokeworth. Uh, does it mean that he founded a new house of Blackwater or will the children be Stokeworth? What do you think Bronn is going to do in Winds of Winter? Will he ally with Fagon? Will he wait for Tyrion? How would you compare these characters? Uh, you know, were you thinking about these three as as George uh, as George's way to show us how hard it is to get ascended in such a rigid feudal world as Westeros? We've got a good sense of how it works through the Davos POV. I'll give you some shots from history so you can compare them uh, from houses. I remember uh, the Clegane and Baelish had a similar way of ascendancy and through time they got established from deeper history. Mayhaps the phrase got up the ladder the same way. So what do you guys think? Uh, we, why don't we have a lot of videos on Braun? You know, how does the feudal system work in Westeros? Really appreciate um, a lot for answering my Ravens uh, praise. Wish you a happy new year. Praise the Garth Lord Robert of house Blackwood. Black yeah, this bird. is yeah, this is a great raven. So thank you, uh, Lord Robert of House Blackbird. Um, yeah, I would say that these are like these three: Janice Lynn, Davis Seaworth, and Braun, all are kind of being raised as a common man to something more, but all through very different means and, and to different ends, as we know for Janice Slint. But I think that it would be kind of cool to maybe do a video on <clears throat> maybe who has ascended the most, right? Um you could throw in a lot of there's a lot of people up for that title. So this could be yes. a really good podcast episode, I think, of us diving in. Who is the best climber? I mean, Peter Baelish has to be on that list without a doubt. Definitely. Davos could be there if only if only Stannis Baratheon had won at the Blackwater. <laughs> but he didn't. So, uh, yeah, th this one definitely I like, you know, talking about Braun, thinking about the feudal society. I think it takes a, a little bit more research on our part to dive super deep into. But without a question, it is difficult to ascend in Westeros. And that is the nature of feudal society. I mean, it's just it's it's damn near impossible. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think about with Braun is. You know, we've been doing these comparisons on YouTube, right? Of like who would win, who would win in a fight. I think Braun is a lot higher up on the list hmm. than people give him credit for as a fighter. I mean, obviously his first fight is against uh, a knight, right? In the in the veil, whose name I'm blanking on right this exam. Exact second. I'll look it's, up. He, he has some totally stupid name. No, it's like something of the uh, what? What? Anyway, but right. Remember the whole deal is he's wearing plate armor, and Braun isn't, and Braun knows he's going to get tired. Vardis Egan, right? Yes, sir. Vardis 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 Egan. Yeah. And um, anyway, he, right, he gets tired as he's as he's fighting him because Braun knows that he's going to get tired. So I mean, that's like just smart. I mean, that's you know, a lot of people would just try to fight him straight up. Okay, and that's so that's pretty smart in the show. And I think there's another thing that's kind of similar in the books in the show. Remember, there's the scene where Tyrion is going to go see um, Cersei and the and the room is guarded by Kingsguardmen, mm -hmm. one of which is Marin Trant. Right. And bronze and Mar I mean, Marin Bronn is not even scared of him whatsoever. I mean, no question. He's got he's got his hand on his back where he's got a dagger. 
I mean, that's a member of the King's Guard, and he's doesn't even care. And then ultimately they let him in. Cersei lets lets Tyrion in. So, you know, I've always used I've used that quite a bit for if you to go down the rabbit hole of is Jack and Hagar Sirio Pharrell? Because right, how would Sirio Pharrell, who's supposed to be this great swordsman, lose to Marin Trant, which you know the hound sort of makes fun of? And then also, you know, at least in the show verse, if you want to still dive down it through the, sh the show line as opposed to the book line, Bronn's not scared of him at all. So, I mean, that's got to speak to his his um, his level. I think Bronn in the books. Ultimately, I don't really his he's like just a total wild card. Oh, out, for out, sure. Out out there. Um, I kind of think he's going to make it just because George likes him. I don't know that he's going to end up on like brands council as we saw in the show. And, and I also, you know, in the show, like, it's almost like they just ran out of ideas for him. Like he has the really just bizarre scene in the final season of game of Thrones where he sort of confronts jamie and terry and it feels like out of absolutely nowhere it's like oh hey it's braun i felt like a cameo it was just it, it really did <laughs> it was just such a weird scene i was like uh what is happening here um and then also it's kind of hard to judge braun's character and you know because there are like, some things i think we can pull from the show and say that's gonna happen like hodor probably gonna happen mm -hmm. Bronze character is a little more difficult, just kind of like the Dorn angle, because sort of onset things influenced his character, right? Because I don't know the actor's name for Bron, but I know he and Lyanna Hattie, who plays Cersei, had been kind of romantically involved. And there was a lot of rumors and speculation and stuff going on that their relationship did not end well and that they were sort of not on scene not on camera together so did that influence the way they had to write Braun? probably didn't influence the way they had to write cersei because her story is going to push through so that makes it also a little more difficult he mm -hmm. also in the show picks up ilan Payne's role of training training jamie which in all honesty i think i kind of like more that Braun's doing it just because i mean ilan Payne, it's kind of cool because you know, he's a mute and he can't say anything. So when well, he has been a listening box for legendary people in Westeros. Yeah. So for me, I actually really I like Serlin Payne uh, just for what he represents. Right. Yeah. I think what, it's just what I, would happen I, if he grew his tongue back. Uh, who knows? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, if if he wanted to, I don't know that he would tell stories. He just doesn't seem like it's I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless he trains jamie how to how to fight again that's obviously his show verse uh you know verse again too but um so i don't really know what's going to happen with them in the books there's like there's a few characters and this is i think part of the problem with writing wins a winner you know some characters is like oh, this is the obvious thing to get through then we've talked before about like okay well like what do you do with sansa because you've got Stannis up here, and Sansa can go in a lot of different directions. That's going to influence some of these other blocks, but you have to get past them. Mm -hmm. Ron is like, we could not even see him again. And oh, I mean, that's not it, out of the realm of possibility. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we will. I do think he still has a story to tell. 
but I don't know, you know, is George's is George's the length of the story going to influence some of these characters that George can now just kind of be like, I need to push to the side. And Braun, who's been a sort of a, a key player, he's going to have something to do with Tyrion. My guess yeah. is he's going to my guess is maybe Tyrion comes over. And with Danny and he's trying to recruit people and bronze maybe does go with young Griff for money. And that's like, maybe that's it. Yeah. I I'm not sure where he'll end up. I do. I mean, we will likely see him again at some point, but when we talk about like big payoffs for things, there are going to be things somewhat unresolved. They're going to be pushed to the side. Cause that's just how it works. You know, even in some of the best, like very long epic running fantasy series that it just always happens. Um, I think Braun got a lot more screen time in the show because of the popularity around around the performance. Uh, I, I, it is so, it is pretty remarkable that he's uh, Lord Stokeworth, right? Like that 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 that's pretty impressive. So it almost feels like that nobility that he's achieved, like you know, now that he has some say in the feudal uh, system, like will he do things any differently? It doesn't strike me as he's a man that would, um, but I think he'll show back up definitely interact with Tyrion. Uh, but it, I don't think he'll sit on Bran's council. Not at all. <laughs> no, I don't No, I don't think so. I was just looking at our next character too, to talk about. So, well, I guess Davos, um, just sort of, you know, just talk, just talk a little bit about Davos. What do we think is going to happen with him? I mean, obviously Davos is big. First of all, let me say, I love both book and show Davos. Davos is honestly, mm -hmm. And he might also be another character. The show version is just so good. Mm -hmm. is, is that he's just this like Davos was like one of the one characters. I was like, man, if this person dies, I'm be. I mean, it was like of all the care he was on my list of like, I do not want to see Davos die. Well, he's like a reformed man in a lot of ways. And uh, we, we kind of have to take that for, at George's word because like we hear about his days as a smuggler and there's a lot more history in there in there, which we should dive into at some point, whether it's today or another time. Um, but like Davos is one of the actually like good people. Like he's very good natured. He cares about his sons. I'm not saying he's a perfect person, but we see a lot of stuff go down through his POV and uh, seeing him almost idolize Stannis Baratheon, but then have to come to the conclusion that he is a bit uh, misguided by the Red Witch is is uh, a, the perfect lens, I think, to introduce Stannis, because I don't think being in Stannis's head would actually be all that interesting. I think Davos is much more conflicted about who he is and how he impacts the world around him than Stannis is. Stannis is very black and white. Davos is much more gray in the fact that he knows that he's done wrong. He knows Stannis is the one true king, but he's following this other religion. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's really, really good stuff. It's it's the heart in conflict with itself, which is the best stories to tell. Um, I love Davos. Yeah. Do you think. So, I mean, when you look at Davos. In the books right now, first of all, I mean, he's a big player. I mean, he's I think he's a he's more important to the story than Braun. Way more important. He's De definitely he, he's there with Stannis. Now he's going to go get he's just done all of this dealing with the Manderleys, like under the, you know, sort of like behind the Boltons and Frey's back. He's going to go get Rickon on Skagos with and unicorns. with potential unicorns. Who knows? <laughs> but when he comes back with Rickon, right, like in the show, it's not Davos who goes to get Rickon right because remember then Rickon is like captured and he's it's part of the pink letter it's totally they go in a different route 
and then in the show he ultimately serves as like john's hand of the king and then he's just there with john and then he's on brand's council at the end here though i think there's some you know there, there's some other ways you could go because his sort of big thing could still be uh princess you know Celise, right is there is is she going to get burned by Melisandre and Stannis in order to win this battle against the in, in order in order to to win this battle against the Boltons? So if you go that route, maybe it's Davos that comes back and finds a beaten Stannis in the woods and realizes what happens. And maybe Davos takes Stannis's life as yeah. opposed to as opposed to Brienne. Yeah. Yeah. And and. I think the burning of Shireen will happen in, in the Shireen. Book. Sorry, no, it's it's all good. I get them mixed up too. Um, George pretty much confirmed that. Like that was one of the things that he gave the creators, um, one of the uh, quote unquote oh, oh shit moments that he gave Dave and Dan. Uh, I do kind of like the idea of Davos being the one to finally have to kind of terminate, <laughs> I guess, Stannis right. Baratheon. But I do think that there's something to be said about um, the oath that oath keeper Brienne has that she that she right. wants to kill. I, I do think that that seems is like that, a George is, thing to do. Is that a bigger I guess I guess it's sort of what payoff do you want? Yeah. I is mean it, is it a is it a is it better for Brienne to have that payoff or is it better for is it you know is it is it better for Davos to maybe have I mean Davos doesn't really want revenge on, he really wants it on Melisandra. Mm-hmm. But is it more powerful if Davos gets a final conversation with Stannis as opposed to coming back and realize what just happened? Well, I mean, it also doesn't have to. It, it could still be that same situation. And maybe he just, uh, you know, he is out to kill Melisandre, kind of like in the show how he wanted to. Right. Like if I see right. her again, I'll kill her. But in the in the books, I do believe that that is probably like that's kind of the feud that's been building. Right. Like she put him in prison. He gets out all this stuff it's kind of like boiling to that head. And I don't necessarily know if, if it's ever been more about Stannis versus Davos. And I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I would say Brienne is probably more likely to slay Stannis or be there when Stannis dies. Um, I think Davos and Melisandre is an interesting feud because Davos seems to be able to extend his empathy pretty far. And I wonder if we'll find out more about Melisandre that, gives davos pause in his hatred for her um even after burning of shireen like i wonder if that'll be something that george explores like that kind of empathy i do believe he says that melisandre is the most misunderstood character in all of a song of ice and fire which i find to be fascinating um but i don't know i don't know i don't know if davos can forgive someone for burning a a child right yeah tough one it's gonna be yeah i i do think man some of these we have to, i'm thinking about are they gonna make i think davos makes it yeah, yeah yeah i think davos makes it i think davos makes it yeah i he, like it I, I think davos out of some of the stuff at the end i do think mm -hmm. davos could maybe find himself because he has been the hand of the king you know what i mean like he has been standing right. by Stannis' side and actually giving him pretty good advice through the oh, whole yeah. thing like someone's gonna have to look at that and be like hey this guy who's a better who's a better hand of the king davos or Tyrion, or i guess hand of the queen Tyrion. who's better of sort of if you look at just those characters 
Well, Tyrion's time at hand uh, as hand in King's I guess Landing in the, sh- in the sh- yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I'm uh, thinking about the books that like we have the Joffrey period, right? I think Tyrion did a pretty good job. Like yeah. he kind of kept everything in check until old Tywin comes back, and the only mistake he made was bringing Shay. Well, it's a pretty big Shay because he was it was a pretty big mistake because he was told specifically <laughs> not to do it. Well, yeah, it did kind of ruin his family. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think, uh, I think Tyrion's by the, I don't know, Davos, Davos lacks persuasion. <laughs> he does. He, he actually lacks some of the negative traits that could make someone good in politics, which, it, which is kind of his problem, even though, you know, at least he was able to get out from, uh, the jail cell and everything else being just a good man. Uh, Tyrion's probably a better hand, I think. Yeah, it's close. <laughs> Okay. Uh, lastly, here, just I guess um, I do not have any idea on his on the son Moro, so I will have to go look at that. But Janice Slant, he is kind of a the way we sort of see him, he's kind of a jerk, but he is he is playing the game. I and to be he, to, he to be fair, he was playing the game. He thought he was sitting at the <laughs> table. Okay, he he thought I got this all figured out. My lord, like he's that person who, when they finally get powered, is just a complete scumbag and wants to put the boot down on your neck. Like he is the worst. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. It's he did set up his family I, for success. I'll give him that. Well, I don't know because he gets named Lord Harrenhal. So cursed, <laughs> cursed, not so good. Not great. Uh, not yeah, not so good. And then of course he gets beheaded. So okay, all right. Let's move on to our next one here. This comes to us from Lori. She says, "Thank you for covering my last Raven. Is the Night King a Targaryen? Right? Well, you know we did that. Um, also, thank you for stating that my letter was well written. I am a teacher and a grammar Nazi, which means that conveying a clear message is very important to me." I just listened to your most recent episode regarding the iceberg theories, and I had a few thoughts to share about Damon Targaryen's fate. So this could potentially be spoilers, obviously, for yeah, Fire spoilers Blood, for House of the Dragon. Dragon. Yep. So since my last Raven, I have read Ice and Fire, and the first thought I have is, oh, maybe she, I think she means Fire and Blood. Uh, she says, I have read Fire and Ice. Um, the first thought I had uh, came to mind when I read that Damon's body was never found and that he is alive, or at least undead. I have also seen the theories on social media suggesting that Damon could be the show's Night King. I'm not sure I buy that either. You know, the theory that uh, he could have been a green seer before Blood Raven went missing beyond the wall. However, after listening to your show, I thought about the children and the weirwoods that live on the Isle of Faces. This made me wonder if Damon survived his battle, landed on the Isle of Faces, and was nursed back to health by the children. I also wonder if the children showed him all of the conversations that occurred in front of the weirwood in King's Landing, convincing Damon to do their bidding, whatever that may be. If you recall, Bran was taught to fly during his fall from the tower in Book 1. Could Damon have also been taught to fly while falling from the sky? So that's one. Uh, another theory you spoke of was Larry Laris could be a green seer or warg. Um, you questioned how Laris. Oh, that's just a comment on um, uh, something uh, just sort of Laris and how he twisted his foot. I'm um, saying I do see I could see a parallel between Laris being contacted by the children, green seers and his dreams, just as Bran was. Laris does have a bastard half sister, Alice Rivers, that had visions and fire. So it wouldn't be a stretch that Laris could also have prophetic powers or could it? So I think maybe we'll start 
Damon lands on the Isle of Faces and he has to do the children's bidding. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of mystique and there's a lot of stuff that's ambiguous when it comes to Children of the Forest. Like, would they be able to to do something like this? I think it's possible. Um, how? I'm not sure. <clears throat> Their methods are mysterious. Uh, I like this, though. I like the fact that the iceberg is kicking people down rabbit holes. I think this is fun. Yeah, I uh, know. I, I agree. You know, the, the interesting thing about the Isle of Faces is that really all the knowledge we ever get about it is like nobody can go over there, right? You're mm -hmm. not supposed to go over there because people don't come people don't come back from there. Uh, obviously, um, I'm just trying to get something pulled up over here. Uh, obviously, the the one character right that we we know goes there is Howland Reed. Like Howland Reed, Mira Reed says that he like goes there and studies. And learns like chronic men magic and <laughs> like does stuff over there. And it's just like kind of a passing thought, like, oh yeah, whatever. So like, <laughs> uh, what? Like, and then Howland Reed goes to this, is goes to the attorney at Heron Hall, is bullied. How does somebody go to the Isle of Faces when nobody else can even go there? And then is bullied by people. It makes no sense. Howland Reed's the biggest question mark in the whole series. Yeah, it's like, it's so crazy. But then, you know, if Damon survives, could Damon make it there? Yeah, I think he could. What happens next? I don't know. That's all. But I am, if Howland Reed can survive over there, unless, you know, being a chronic man is sort of like ultra magical, right? I mean, obviously, Jojen Reed has green, has green dreams, right? And he, he's there with Bran and they go to the cave. Yeah, maybe Halland is Green Seer as well. Maybe the Isle of Faces is the entry point to the Hollow Earth, the Hollow Westerosi Plantos Earth. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I one thing I, I will note is that if the body is not found, he is alive is a true statement. 100%. When talking about epic fantasy, that is fact. <laughs> if the body well, was that... not recovered... That was one of the that was one of the things that made me ultra interested the first time we saw in Game of Thrones where we don't actually see Stannis be killed. Mm -hmm. It was like, why didn't they show that on screen when they showed us literally everything else? Uh, another one would be a Shara Dane. I mean, we don't we never saw a body for a Shara Dane, so I don't believe she's dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, look at this, right? So here's the Helen Reed wiki, right, which gives you know. Sums it, sums it all up. Of course, you can go to things. Uh, at the age of major, um, Helen Reed saw additional knowledge, so he paddled a small skin boat down the Green Fork, evaded the twins at night, and visited the Isle of Faces in search of green men and stayed all winter. He left the Isle of Faces in 281, the year of the fall spring, to observe the great tourney at Harrenhal. So I know sometimes we think that the, the, the Isle of Faces is like this crazy mysterious place that people aren't supposed to go to or they'll die but clearly how reed does it so if damon does survive this this fall right you who knows how you know you know if the dragon crashes first and then he jumps off or you know however it works if damon does say survive i think it's possible damon could get on could get could get there i hope he does i do too because it's more interesting <laughs> Right, because the even in the books, the idea of is there a 
is there a three-eyed crow in the books before blood raven yeah that's another big question for sure um and could the show then turn damon into that person which right we did a yeah which we did on our iceberg so Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely um it's definitely all interesting it is out there but like yeah it's not i wouldn't say it's too far out there it's possible it's in the in the realm of things all right let's move on Another one here. This is from um, Maester Durek. He says, greetings, sirs. I was just wondering if you could cover the theory of why young Griff could be a Blackfire. You've probably made an episode about this theory before, but even though I have watched every podcast episode since around the end of season eight, I've never got a proper explanation on why this is such a popular fan theory. I know I could probably go way back and find a video on it. Um, I just still thought it'd be necessary since there's a lot of new people listening and stuff and you reference the theory a lot uh yours truly uh mr Derek. by the way don't forget when's a winner is coming that is true and we uh sometimes we do just sort of uh throw out big theories as if people aren't are familiar with yeah. them but a lot of people a lot of show people are like i don't even know who this character is right i did a tiktok on the idea of john fighting young griff and the comment section was all like what are you talking about john is Aegon. And it's like, okay, here we go. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got 500,000 views on TikTok and everyone's like, because I said it could be Jon Snow versus Aegon Targaryen. And everyone's like, John is Aegon Targaryen. It's like, okay, here, here we go. Yeah, so for some backstory as to who potentially young, this young Griff character is. So when Tyrion goes to Essos, once he sort of gets separated from Daenerys Targaryen, he meets a character named Griff, who we later find out is a character named John Connington. John Connington was Rhaegar Targaryen's sort of best friend and one of his, you know, advisors, a member of sort of his little faction. And there's a lot of belief that John Connington might have even you know, been in love with Rhaegar. Not that they potentially did anything about it, but just sort of that John Connington had feelings, had the feels for Rhaegar. So Rhaegar has two children with Elia Martell. He has a daughter named Rhaenys Targaryen, and he has a son who is his first official, right, confirmed son, who he names Aegon Targaryen. During the sack of King's Landing, this son, Aegon Targaryen, is killed or believed to be killed, right, by the mountain. Well, one when Tyrion, now flash forward, when Tyrion is in Essos, he meets Griff, and he meets this other character, this young boy, who goes by the guise of young Griff. A lot of people believe, well... John Connington tells Tyrion, this is actually Aegon Targaryen, Rhaegar's son. So it could actually be that character. It could also be another character and that it's just a young boy who happens to be a Blackfire because we know that during the Blackfire Rebellion, There's a lot of Targaryens, right, or Blackfires that are over in Essos that try to come over and take the Iron Throne. And so since there's still a lot of 
Blackfire blood over in Essos and people who support that fans speculate that young Griff may not actually be Rhaegar's son, that they, he was actually killed during the sack of King's Landing and they're building this conspiracy in order to pass him off as such yes so that they can sort of come back into power yeah and and where it directly comes from like a more specific bloodline is the fact that it is believed that um people are people have speculated the blackfire line was extinguished on the male side of things but that there is actually also a female line that extends for many generations and then you have illyrio's late wife sarah uh and sarah is has a ton of valerian features big blue eyes pale golden hair streaked by silver and many people speculate that illyrio and sarah's child is young griff the contract or the secret is also shared only between illyrio Varys, and then someone known as blackheart toyn i hope i'm saying that right uh, and Toyn is is I believe it's Miles Toyn. I might be getting his name wrong, but he is the leader of the Golden Company, which is at Young Griff's you know command at this point, right? So the interesting thing about this is um, Toyn had actually fought in the Nine Pennies War, and the Toyn House hated House Targaryen, incited with Blackfires. So if there was like it would not make sense for this person to be trying to put Rhaegar's son back on the throne who he has been you know that side of the family he's been opposed to for you know at this point centuries this house um toyn had fought in the uh nine penny king's war to put uh Maylis the monstrous on the iron throne so i think it makes sense that one why is toyn a part of this pact with Varys and illyrio that doesn't make much sense right this leader of the gold company uh and everyone else is in the dark and why would one of the toyns want to put a targaryen on the throne and then you add in the fact that Illyrio most likely was married to a female Blackfire, and then also Varys just being Varys. I, I don't understand Varys's uh, other than his amazing, you know, ability to be right. a uh, to be a uh, whisper um, to people. Uh, maybe there's also the speculation that Varys is also a Blackfire, but he's a eunuch, so he couldn't reproduce. That was another thing people talked about. I don't don't have a comment on that but right. that that is the theory and that is the evidence for young griff being a black fire there's also discrepancies about age and you know legitimacy with his appearance and, and Tyrion seems to notice some things that are off so i, I for one do believe that he's probably a black fire and matt do you think he's a black fire oh well, i think he might be the real deal you think he's a real deal I kind of well, yeah, because I I kind of do. I think it's I think it's way more interesting if he's the if he's the real deal. So real quick, another term you will hear sometimes. I don't really like this term because uh, I think it's just like it really confuses people. Is Fagon, which is just like for false Aegon. Um, No, I think it's more likely that he's the real deal than a Blackfire. See, I don't know. I I think all the evidence that in the book. For me, points to Blackfire. And I actually do think it's interesting. I think the only reason why it wouldn't be interesting is because we've been able to talk about it for 10 years. I think that that's the only reason. Well, why, you know, for starters, the, the reason I think it's the real deal is one, I think to introduce at this late in the game, like another a Blackfire rebellion would be like way too much, way too much. To try to try now you're gonna have to cram in a Blackfire rebellion 
Because really, to understand the Blackfire Rebellions, you kind of have to read like World of Ice and Fire and Duncan Egg. It's not mm -hmm. even like, I mean, it's it's brought up in the main series, but to really sort of get it, you have to go to these other source materials. Well, to, there's, to, um, go sorry, no, I, there's definitely, um, you're right. I mean, most a bulk of that is in the extra books, but there is a ton of Blackfire stuff in A Feast for Crows, like to the point where it's like almost obvious that he's pointing to something. Yeah, I guess the other the other big thing for me, there's two two more things. One is the fact that when at the end of A Dance of Dragons, when Varys is in the epilogue, when Varys is, you know, taking out Kevin Lannister, he sort of tells him that he's the real deal. Mm -hmm. And it's why would you tell someone that you're about to take out that you're that is that why would you just tell him the truth? Right. I think yeah. it'd be I think it'd be even more frightening to kevin if you're like hey we're gonna prop up somebody that's not even the real deal <laughs> yeah it's true you know what i mean like like i'm so good at at we're so good at at our at our at being you know whispers and we've coming up with this plan that we're gonna prop up somebody that's that's a black fire well so, i the only defense i've ever seen to that is that the little birds were there and varus uh would not expose the secret while the birds were there yeah See, I just, I just think it's so. The I, then the, the other, Illyrio then the other, then the other, then the other thing I think is, the other thing I think is, um, uh, it's just, I think it just works better as a story. I think it's cooler. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's way more interesting for Daenerys to come over, and for for Daenerys to come over and be like, no, this is like my legitimate. This is, this is a legitimate. Hmm thing and i guess unless you go in the route of then it's just too much with john being being Rhaegar's son because then you're like well this isn't Rhaegar's son but this is and so then you kind of go through the same motions twice i think if it's just like there that Aegon is actually Rhaegar's son and then that would make him john's brother and so then i think it gives you that storyline and then Maybe it's a John that has to deal with it as opposed to, I mean, Daenerys still have to take out like the Mummer's dragon, but I just think it's just think it's more inter. I think it's more interesting. See, I personally find it more interesting if he's a Blackfire because it's like this repeated history point that comes back again. And then right. it makes everything with John so much more complex, which I like, but I'll meet you in the middle and I'll say this. I don't know if we will ever find out. Oh, I don't think I don't think it. No. And this is this is a weird thing to say, but I don't know. I don't know if it matters so much. Like maybe they're see. The only thing I can see it mattering is that like for Danny, it's so much more tragic if she comes over and then she's been replaced by an, a pretender. Right. And she somehow finds that information out. I think that could definitely lead to Danny having way more personal inner conflict. So I think in that regard, like it would actually probably be worthy to expose the secret at some point, but I don't even know who would do that. Um, so I think that this might be a question we ask ourselves, even if both books were to be published, I think at the end we would still be arguing possibly whether he was legitimate or not. I don't, I don't know if George is going to put I on the page. Aegon was real or Aegon was fake. I think it'll just lead itself to uh interpretation most likely like yeah i could i could i can see i could see that too i guess i just think i don't know is, is it more intriguing i think it depends on the reader yeah i okay, got about which it, it, it's kind of like our conversation we had before 
is it a, do you go with the bigger payoff with Davos or do you go with the bigger payoff with yeah yeah I do think that Aegon is going to be a marriage proposal for Sansa and yeah I can see that and go from there yeah I also uh, think that like as long as whichever way he goes it makes sense and it's consistent that's all that matters to me like a story that makes sense is always going to be one that I consider good. So as whichever way he goes, as long as it makes sense, I'm happy. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Uh, one more here. So this comes to us from, I, this person has sent us to it before. I do not know how to pronounce it. Uh, a off a O I F E. I'm guessing it's the uh, foreign to us. Um, Mick Foley is their last name, which seems uh, I can pronounce that. So it says, uh, good day, good day, good sirs. Been a big listener to the show for a while now and just wanted to send a raven from all the way down in the Sothoris. I've been a huge fan of A Song of Ice and Fire for a few years now. I've read the books during my first year of high school. I was around the age of 12. Uh, which got more than a, a few concerned teachers. Uh, <laughs> I'm 16 now and still loving A Song of Ice and Fire content as much as I can, as I can get. Uh, I just wanted to get your opinions on a possible change for the future seasons of House of the Dragon. That is, the characters of uh, Reyna and Nettles might be merged. I've always loved both Damon's daughters, and I and they certainly have their moments after the dance, but during it, they don't really do much. Um, Reyna, in particular, spends a lot of time, her time in the Vale while she hatches her dragon um, morning, one of the last alive pre-Danny. Nettles is a character who, while quite loved, sort of comes out of nowhere and raises more questions than answers. I'm quite fond of the idea that the show will combine these characters moving forward. It's already made an effort to establish the girls as more significant uh, characters, having them a part of the fight against Aemon, for example. Also, the speech Lena gives to Reyna about claiming a dragon seems to foreshadow her deciding to claim a dragon rather than hatch one. Even in Fire and Blood, it seems a few people believe Nettles to be a the you know the daughter of Damon. Um, uh, I'd be a fan of this change as it would expand on Reyna's character and give her more agency throughout the dance. What are your thoughts? Would appreciate any and all ideas. Have a great Christmas, which uh, you know we we did, and cheers to many more episodes in the new year. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, because Nettles. Nettles, some people do believe, to be fair, it, well, for context, Nettles is this character who sort of pops up and is a love interest for Damon. Because, again, remember, all of our stuff is just told us through us through, like, history, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, uh, like, a history book. So it's not like we have, like, direct text to sort of pull from. And he is sort of a love interest for Damon. She is sort of a love interest for Damon, especially as Damon and Rhaenyra have sort of a falling out. A lot of people believe that Damon fakes his death, which, you know, after he potentially, you know, dies during the battle of over the God's eye, because remember, his body's never found and that he just sort of is like, you know, what? I'm just going to go be with Nettles and we're just going to go do our thing. We're just going to sail off and do our thing. I mean, as long as it's not a love interest, like that's where I'm hung up on. Like if Nettles is Reyna and it's a love interest, that is Damon being in love with his daughter. And I think that which isn't, which isn't out of the question for Targaryens, but I'd rather not. 
that path. Yeah, now, I mean, the incest stuff is already kind of like one thing. Well, this right? is it's a, like yeah, this is another bridge. This is like a different level. Yeah. yeah, I I don't think that this would work. Um, unless if they change the nature of the relationship between Nettles and and uh and Damon. But at that point, like, why wouldn't Reyna just be Reyna, right? So right. I, I I think there could be something where like Reyna wants to get away from court with her dad. Like I could see that. But at that point, I think it's almost totally different than Nettles. Right. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to merge them. I do think we're going to get a lot of characters merged. This is not one I would say is, is probably likely just because of the potential love interest. Um, and I do think that Damon having... One, I don't think that they're going to have him fall in love with his daughter. Like, I mean... Fingers like the incest thing, yeah, the incest <laughs> thing is already like one thing, and that does happen in the books, right? I mean, so that's not that's not out of the realm of possibility for the books, but for like TV, you know, I mean, Game of Thrones already walks this fine line with like incest, right? And it's sort of a it's sort of on a, it's sort of on another level if you want to have him fall in love with his daughter. I that like that's that I think is a really hard sell to like TV executives. <laughs> um even as like you know pushing the edge as game as game of thrones is so i don't think that's going to happen mm-hmm. but i the other thing i think is i th- i think it's important to have damon and have the have another person that he can sort of fall in love with or you know whatever have a relationship with to sort of show that separation from rhaenyra and show mm-hmm. that rhaenyra is sort of losing everything yeah definitely and, and i think that, that, that they will most likely expand on Reyna's character. Like, I think that is likely um, for sure, but uh, I don't necessarily see her taking the place of nettles. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. All right, Jimmy. Uh, one last thing here. So we've been doing these polls, these uh, sort of combat polls here. Right. <laughs> and uh, I'll just zoom in here. So the one we have, today right so with when we did one about john snow versus damon who would win and i think maybe you and i both kind of went on the john snow fence the the video's up and people are commenting on it and i think some people are saying hey damon would smoke john some of the players are saying show john certainly might beat damon back and forth here but um this one i think you can kind of look at show and book and it's pretty similar who wins in a fight? Grey Worm or Oberon Martell, the Red Viper? Eighty-two percent, an absolute ratio. Yes. <laughs> uh, I I am kind of surprised by this in a way because Grey Worm is part of the Unsullied. Like I agree because Oberon is also like you know he's a poisoner. There's all he's very talented and he's very well traveled. I think he's also fought probably more styles than the Unsullied have, but. Grey Worm is still an unsullied. I think this fight's yeah. closer than the than the poll is saying. Yeah, I would still say. I guess for me, I'm probably like I'd still probably go like seven out of ten, seven out of ten times. So I I I felt like maybe sixty sixty percent Oberon would have been a little more fair because the unsullied. You got to think. I mean, those they're training from the moment they're like five years old every day of their lives. Yeah, I did. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they get their like, nipples cut oh. off and don't flinch. You pinch mine. Yeah. I scream, you know, yeah, like, they are. That's not the only thing they get cut off, <laughs> but uh, they are hardcore. I mean, they're like Spartans. 
Yeah, I, I think I mean, this might it's... be some Western Westerosi bias, classic bias that we're seeing here. Because All right, I don't know. The more we now, I'm sitting here. I'm thinking maybe, maybe I don't agree with this. I think Grey Worm might might slap around a little bit. See now, now people are like, well, hold on a second, Matt. You said that Damon <laughs> would be John, and I was like, no. Yeah, I look at their accomplishments. Okay, I so. Oberyn does sort of beat the mountain, to be fair. I mean, yes, he draw a lot where, yeah, he dies in the process, but I mean, he beats him. If he's smarter in that scenario, he beats him. If, if he had done the same amount of damage to Grey Worm, Grey Worm definitely would be dead. Okay. Um, the mountain is can take an enormous amount, but Oberyn is doing some like insane backflips and everything. I don't, I think he's just way more agile. I think he is. Just from the one fight we get to see, I would say he is more skilled than than Grey Worm. I think some of the other stuff that Grey Worm now as like a battle commander, I didn't think it's close. If you ask me who do I want to lead an army, it's it's Grey Worm. Oh it, yeah, it, it, and it's you flip you flip you flip this around. And Grey Worm is a is a stud too. I mean, I think if you put him up against a lot of other people, he he's a first round draft pick. He might be a he might be a high second. No. Yeah, uh, you might be a high second. This, this is like the Manning boys. Like they're being bred for this game. Uh, yeah. As, as if it were, if we were picking to lead an army, yeah, he's, he's like top I mean, three. I don't want to run into an unsullied in the back alley. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I think that they, I think they would mess me up. I don't even think it'd be close. I mean, I will say this. Oberyn Martell should have absolutely destroyed the mountain he let him back into the fight like we can agree on yeah that. if he weren't if he, i don't i think if it was if Oberon was just going in to kill him like not i don't even think it would have been close it was it barely it barely was close in the first place that's what i'm saying like the mountain and really and the book it's the book it's sort of the same thing but you know matt styles make fights styles, styles makes do. fights and, and the mountain's big and slow and Oberon martell isn't i think i think gray worm is not only uh strong but i think he's fast too so I, I wonder how Oberyn would be able to handle the footwork from the Unsullied because he's going to have that Eastern footwork. I, I, it's an interesting fight. I think that the, the, the yeah, I don't way out. Of yeah, it. I don't. I don't agree with 82, 18. That's insane. That's insane. They yeah. cut their nipples <laughs> off people. Yeah. 82, 18 is a little high <laughs> uh, for for a bit. I was thinking this would be like 60, 40, like low end. 70 30 high and i was not expecting 82 Listen, if you're gonna give me plus 800 odds on gray worm on DraftKings, i'm put i'm putting a fiver on him that's all i'm saying oh yeah i mean you gotta what do you what do you call that parlay i'll par i'll do a couple lighter <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta parlay but hey these are these are fun and we have we we have a lot more coming uh so we'll keep i'm gonna keep posting them over on youtube and you guys can go uh vote on them and this is actually from like two weeks this two weeks ago but every time we record we'll We'll talk about um, talk talk about another one, but uh, we just had another one that was a total blowout, and I wasn't expecting it to be as big of a blowout. So this I makes gotta... it really interesting because, like, I think our expectations are not usually met. Whenever we post a poll, we figure out, like we're like, all right, this person's probably going to win, and it hasn't always went that way. So whenever we end up doing this big draft, you know, draft in our champions, mm -hmm. I think that uh, I think we might be surprised. We'll have to see what the what 
what the fa- what the fans say. We're thinking maybe end of February, you know, right in time for sort of March March Madness. We'll get that. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get that going. It's a great idea. So, but yeah, I, I was I was I was just as shook as Damon was when Eamon Storm stared him down. <laughs> Nonsense. This <laughs> <laughs> green propaganda. <laughs> uh, so so much fun. Drogon, awesome. no. Awesome. Well, awesome. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, thank you guys for for watching. Um, Jimmy, where can people find you on the internet? It's New Year. We got to plug our social medias here. Hey, yeah, go check me out. Uh, I don't really post on social media much anymore, uh, but you can find me on YouTube. I do have my own YouTube channel where I do all types of sci-fi, fantasy, and fiction book reviews and other bookish content. There is some of Game of Thrones and Song of Ice Fire on there, of course, and that is the Fantasy Nutwork and U-T-T-W-O-R-K. I'd love to have you over there as a subscriber and check out what I'm doing over there. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, you can find me anywhere on the internet at Super Games Bros. That's TikTok, Instagram, all of it. You can find me. We do have our own Bend the Knee TikTok. We post those shorts on YouTube as well. We've done a good amount. Uh, even Jimmy, you know, we've been doing some some fun stuff over on Patreon. And of course, you can also listen to that on Apple Premium. But guys, with that, our next episode, well, we do have a special guest coming. So we do have one more episode with a special guest. But after that, we're going to be doing diving back into we do Jimmy and I did a little bit. We wanted to dive into the beginning of World of Ice and Fire. But uh, after that, you know, right at the end of January, we will be going back to the books. So, guys, with that, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we have a special guest. But after that, we will be discussing the World of Ice and Fire the age of heroes and the long night. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review or leave a comment or send us a Raven at btkcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. And remember that winter is coming. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.